Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And this week, I would like to introduce you all to Eric Mertz. So Eric, say hi to the listeners. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. So Eric, let's do some introduction for the listeners. Um, First, start off with telling us what state you live in. Uh, I live in the the state of Oregon in, in Portland. Ah, so right close to the neck, my neck of the woods. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So um, do you, are you one of the lucky ones that gets to write full time or do you have a, a job as many of us do on the side besides writing? Right. So I, I have a small job as an advocate and job coach for disabled adults. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really small part of my, um, of my job. I am... When it comes to writing, I'm I'm 50% ghostwriter and mm-hmm. and editor, and then 50% um, freelance, free range novelist. So, oh, okay. Well, we'll definitely yeah. dive into the ghostwriting. I've had a couple of other ghost authors um, on the podcast, maybe one or two, and I find that as a very fascinating thing to talk about. So, we'll dive in that just a little Excellent. bit. Um, so I ask a few questions that you might not have heard, or if you've listened to the podcast, you know, they're coming, but sometimes they're stumper questions. Um, as authors, we're often told, you know, make sure you're reading. Um, so what is currently on Eric's reading list? What are you reading today? Well, I always have a stack of, of role-playing game manuals. (laughs) That's a, a, a long time hobby. So I'm always reading, um, how to play games. Um, but I'm reading Plato's Republic. That's come up quite a bit lately, and in, in uh, a lot of what I uh, what I'm working on. And then I'm also reading a book called The Change. Um, and it's from a, a post-apocalyptic science fiction fantasy. Um, uh, it's a it's a series of, of books and stories that are in a shared world called the Emberverse. So, oh, oh, cool. Okay, yeah, so there's more than one book to read. <laughs> oh, yeah, I always have two. And yeah. Emberverse is cool because it's fantasy, sci-fi, and history all wrapped into one. It's really cool. Oh, cool. So when you have more than one book, I have to be a one-book reader. I can't, like, really go between one book to the next. It, I mean, at the same time, I, right. I guess maybe I'm too, <laughs> I don't know, ADHD or something. Um, do you read, like, one in the evening and then you read one in the afternoon or at night or how do you, how do you stake or the two just kind of what you feel like reading that day? Uh, it really comes. Yeah. It comes down to mood. Um, in the evening, it's something I, I need a story to settle me down. So I wouldn't read nonfiction um, before going to sleep. So mm-hmm. nonfiction would be more of what I pick at in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game playing manuals just come in whenever I'm called upon to, to be in a game and I have to, get the rules straight again oh i gotcha i got you okay that's cool so my um son-in-law him and his dad are huge game players and my daughter and him are also big in D. so they do a lot of D games um well, and create right in my alley yeah it's a lot of fun to work with her my daughter because um world creation for D is so much storytelling you know oh, yeah characters so her she spends a lot of time with me in development when i come to my developing characters and worlds and i always go to her and say does this sound plausible <laughs> <laughs> she's so good at it 
<laughs> the magic of D and D is always that it's it plays a lot in the world of what if, and that's what writers are are doing, right? I mean, it, exactly. What if this happens? What if that happens? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of fun um, to work with individuals that are focusing in on their fun time in world creation like that. So right. yeah, it's a lot of fun. So. Um, Tell us a little bit about your your work. Tell us what genre you write in, and then we're going to talk a little bit about your writing process. And then we'll definitely hit all the titles because I've been on your your website, but our listeners haven't. Maybe so. Share with us a little bit about um, what genre you write in. So I, I personally write in paranormal mystery. Um, I like to sort of call it like haunted hillbilly noir. Um, oh, a lot funny. of my stories are set in um, a fictional. Oregon County uh, called Canyon County, um, which I envision is sort of east of the Cascades and south of the river. And um, so I like a rural landscape and I like a haunted landscape. Um, I'm definitely influenced a lot by things like, um, like Unsolved Mysteries and H.P. Lovecraft. And mm-hmm. uh, so it sort of puts all of that into sort of a, a country and Western setting. So cool. Well, my listeners know this. I am a um, sci-fi and also a um, unsolved mystery fanatic. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's the author side of me, but I definitely love unsolved mysteries. I, I want to figure out who did what and see if I can figure it out. But <laughs> here's, so. a, here's a spoiler. They're all on YouTube now, so you can watch all of them. Oh. That's a a writer tip right there. (laughs) There we go. Great tip. Awesome. I, you know, I very rarely go to YouTube, which is so funny. I, I, my podcast goes on YouTube for audio and I just recently had somebody follow me. Somebody followed me on YouTube because I never, I know I don't even look. And he was so gracious. He said, why are you not bigger on YouTube? Your podcast is great. And I'm like, probably because I never promote YouTube. (laughs) I never go there. (laughs) Um, So awesome. Well, there's a tip for y'all. Got to go to YouTube with me. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your writing process. Uh, First, let me ask this question and then we'll get and dive into your process of how you, how you structure your writing. Um, When did you realize that you were an author? Did you just wake up as a kid and you know, I've been telling stories. Did you discover it later in life? Kind of what was that process for you? (laughs) <laughs> so uh, when I was really young, probably eight or nine, I, I knew I was a novelist. I knew I was, I was writing stories and I actually at a very, at that age, I thought everybody was writing a book. Um, <laughs> I thought it was everybody's little secret. I thought that's what everybody did when they went home. And there are a number of stories from my, my youth where I would kind of ask my father or mother a, a naive question about a novel that a friend was writing and they'd say, no, 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 not everybody does that. <laughs> um, but I did. And so, you know, after college, um, I got a degree in English from the university of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I mean, I've been churning out my own writing since I was, you know, at least a, a, a preteen. Um, it just, after college, you don't really know, you know, how do you, how do you go from formal education to a novelist? Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird road. And I've certainly been on that weird road. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I've known this forever and I'm just, I'm grateful to be on that road still. That's so awesome. And it's awesome that you did your formal education in English, most English, um, majors end up teaching, you know, they go into teaching and then they write a, while they teach or they teach others how to write. So um, I avoided that. I, I yeah. got a, 
I ended up in social work um, by accident and mm-hmm. it's been a, a really a great parallel career because it just puts you in contact with people and situations and a lot of that world is storytelling. People mm-hmm. tell you a story about what they need and you have to help them figure it out. So I, I was, that's another thing I was very grateful for. I found a parallel career to, to, that was enriching and kept me stable long enough to figure out how to write a book. <laughs> that's great. Not that I know how to write a book, really, but <laughs> do any of us, right? <laughs> well, you do have some experience. Now, before I touch on your writing process, I wanted to dive just a little bit into your ghostwriting aspect. Um, so uh, do you have people they come to you and say, Hey, you're a great writer, I need some help with my work, or how do you how do you get clients? Is it by word of mouth? Do you promote yourself? I promote um, through my website, Eric Mertz Writing. So I have a ghostwriting website um, and editing website that's separate from my author website. Um, which I don't know if I would advise me 10 years ago to do again, but <laughs> alas. Um, so most people come through ericmertzwriting.com. Um, I also have connections with some of the, if you were to Google ghostwriting, there are some larger players in, um, across the country and I'm, I'm connected with some of them. Um, but that process is as organic as you just said. People mm-hmm. approach a ghostwriting company when they have an idea or a book um, that they've already written. Um, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I think every client, the one thing I've learned is that every client has a different um, approach, and you have to treat every project individually and mm-hmm. um so it's its own adve- it's an interesting adventure i'll tell you well i can imagine um so i had um another author on early on the podcast and i got connected through him from a pr specialist that a pr gal that my husband used to work with in the music industry so he came on to the podcast and that's how he got started was ghostwriting and so he goes did a lot of ghostwriting for years and years and he's like i can write my, you know, I couldn't put the stuff out myself, you know what I mean? I'm right. letting everybody else do it. So he did, and he, he did pretty, he's doing pretty well. Um, so is there ever a moment when you're halfway or you're getting to know a client and you're like, oh, this is not going to be a good fit? <laughs> I, or do you just meld yourself into their world and what they need? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I do, I am very pliable when it comes to client needs and client um, expectations and just client personalities. You, you have to be, um, I've worked with, with, I mean, I could go through the list of people and, and they are as they're night and day. They're on all, um, parts of the spectrum. I know pretty quickly now this far in, if someone is just not going to be a match for me, if it's mm-hmm. the, either, the, either what they want is unrealistic or their, um, their way of asking mm-hmm. for that is unrealistic. Um, I, I know pretty well at this point that those jobs, however well they pay, are far too expensive when it comes mm-hmm. to time and energy. So I, I avoid them or mm-hmm. I pass them off to people who I know who who might be able to um, ha- have a, a more, I don't know, a harmonious working relationship. Mm-hmm. I am pretty pliable. I mean, I, I meet people. I know, I know how to get them where they need to go. And I, I've made a lot of good friends doing it too. A lot of people, sometimes when I'm done with the project, I feel like um, I have to be done talking to this person and it's a bit sad. So, yeah, I can imagine. Cause I would think the best, 
aspect of being a ghostwriter or even an editor is you have to have some sort of relationship with the individual because they're sharing with you a huge deep part of themselves, you know, and, and you're having to navigate through their mind and their thinking so that the message can be clear for others to hear it. Right. So I can imagine that you develop great partnerships. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I was just with somebody today and, you know, for all that I know, it's a, the man was a world war II vet and approaching a hundred years old. And he told me some things about that he'd experienced and you can read all of the history you want and watch the history channel all you want. But when you sit down with somebody and they convey to you what those things felt, what facts felt like, mm-hmm. there's nothing like that in the world. And so I've been really just as lucky as can be that I've, I've, I've learned a little bit about what other people's experiences felt like. Um, that's, it's magical. And, and I am sure you get to like, file that in the back of your mind for when you have to draw and create a character in your mind for a new story or a new, you can draw on so much. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, I love it. And so you also do editing work. Um, Share with us. Do you have a specific genre you prefer to um, work with in editing or do you have a specific skill set that you would like to highlight? Cause I'm sure as I get a lot of aspiring authors that listen to this podcast and I don't want people to flood your door if <laughs> you're right. not working in that genre. Right. <laughs> I avoid um, young adult and middle grade mm-hmm. at this juncture um, only because I'm not as well read in those, in those as I, as I am in other things. Um, I wouldn't get into something if I didn't know that I could, I could really help that person, not just write the best possible story, but also like make the most marketable story. Mm-hmm. Cause what I've learned in ghostwriting and editing is that um, when someone comes to you and hires you, that you're go, you're in a little business with them. You're, you're doing a little business with them. And I like to come at that relationship with here's what you're go- Here's what we need to do to make this the most sellable projects. Now, some of my ghostwriting clients and editing clients, they're not, I'm writing a family history or I'm writing, Uh it's not, it's not a book that's going to go out and sell. But if, if there is even a a glimmer of hope that that book is going to sell, I want to be able to say, this is the, you know, this is what that market is, or this is what this looks like. So those are the two areas I stay away from. Uh Um, What I'm really good at, um, I believe is I'm good at getting things unstuck. Uh, that first draft, I, I, that, that first draft is, is just bliss to create, but it is a real bugger to try to, mm-hmm. to, to solve that riddle. Um, and I feel like I have a great set of new eyes that can come in and say, what if this, and what if that, that's my, one of my writing philosophies and that mm-hmm. I think about everything from what if mm-hmm. and I throw a lot of things against the wall with what if, and not everything sticks obviously, but, um, I think that gets things unstuck if you just stay in the realm of possible as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's really, really good. And even good advice for somebody that's working on their first draft or their first manuscript, there might be a point or a juncture where their writing group or themselves or their friends or family, it have a, they've exhausted the what ifs from them. So maybe they need to go to 
somebody else like you and hire you and you can give another set of questions to help make it better. So that, that's a great analogy. So thanks for sharing that. So all you listeners, (laughs) now, you know, Eric's there. So (laughs) I am here. (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's jump into the writing process. So with your work that you have, your, your books, um, do you have a process that you go through? Do, do you outline, do the, did the stories come to you and then you sat down and you wrote them all out? And then you work on them. Kind of tell, walk us through your process. So the the bigger and you answered you asked sort of the bigger one, the bigger picture first. And mm-hmm. so I've always so I'm writing what I but it's called the Strange Air series of paranormal mysteries. And mm-hmm. um, so as a ghostwriter, I I'm, I'm always dividing my time, um, and we can talk about that as well. But I'm always working on somebody else's project and then working on mine and. Mm-hmm. When I was starting out, I didn't know how to to really budget my time fairly for myself. I was giving more of my time to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was doing is I was I would work on a project for someone else, and when I had time, I would write a story, write a story, write a story. Another project would come, pull me away, and I would be I, I couldn't go back to that story. I'd start something else. When I gave myself the time in a bigger sense to say, I'm going to commit five hours a day to writing my books, I looked at all of the the archive that I had created and realized that everything in that archive was unintentionally um, centered in the same world. Oh. I had, yeah, all of the little hauntings were, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was building a world without knowing it. And so as I started, I came around and started putting that first I realized that I had something. And so then it became a matter of, I really had to outline that world in a big way and say, okay, these are the, this is the thread. This is, I I did this here, here, and here. Um, So it really started with a lot of masterminding, like, okay, I, (laughs) what have I put in the sauce? I had to like um, reverse engineer um, a book series, but it was, it was great. Um, And it was really rewarding to know I was, that I was feeding into the same thing that whole time. So my process is I'm, I give the first five hours of my day to my book. It's mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. Um, and I'm always outlining something. Um, right now I'm heavily rewriting my first novel, which will be out in January. Mm-hmm. Um, even then I give a half an hour, an hour to outlining the next thing, outlining a short story, just always trying to keep that structural brain working, um, finding those twists. Um, one of my writing rules is I have, uh, it's a thousand words a day or three first lines. And uh-huh. so if I, if I'm really occupied and I can't get a thousand words, I just try to come up with just three hooks or three uh-huh. first lines. Um, so I'm always working and I'm trying to work both of those sides of my brain when it comes to my story series. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that can be a challenge. Sometimes the outline gets stuck and, and, and then I'm just what ifing my way through it. Um, or, you know, right now I'm just so focused on getting this rewrite um, through that. Maybe I've broken some of those outlining rules in the last week, but um, yeah, I'm always focusing on, on kind of two things at once. It goes back to that reading two books at once. I, I having my feet in two, two ponds is just natural. Well, I am totally inspired by what you're saying as far as devoting time to your writing first. I totally get that. 
um, I'm, I'm still on the opposite end right now. Um, and like I mentioned to you, you know, the podcast, um, I'm only releasing two episodes a month where I was doing almost four episodes a month because I wasn't getting enough time to write on my own work that I'm working on in the process of the podcast too. <laughs> and so, right. so I had to realign pretty quickly of saying, okay, I've gotten enough episodes out that I think I can back off to two a month. And that would be less interviews that I have to do in the month too. And, um, kind of restructuring my writing time as well. I, I also work full time. So finding all of those little bits of time is challenging. And I think it's fascinating that you, during that process, you were still in the same story, you know, and then you, it was like a patchwork and then you brought it all together. That's absolutely fascinating. Well, really what unlocked that was um, my sister lives out in the Dalles and, and Wasco County and Dufer and that. And it all it took for her, it, all it took for me was her moving out there. And once we started traveling around in that area, I just, that was the landscape. And all of those stories flooded back into my head. Like that's the corner where that happens. This, it just being, just exposing myself to that landscape was enough to unlock the whole thing so i love it that's so exciting and so tell us how many titles do you have in that series so right now what is uh, what i have published um i not have to count there's five pieces um up on amazon i say pieces because um what my strategy was in self-publishing was i really wanted to i had there's multiple novels in that that um, archive I've described and I, I'm working on one now with one soon to follow mm-hmm. but I, I didn't want to go into the self-publishing journey throwing 70,000 words and mm-hmm. the expectation of selling a $5 book or even a $4 book um, without knowing just what does it take to put something up on Amazon how do you write a description mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. that is that is such a maze um, and it's it is as much a challenge as the writing is. Mm-hmm. So I, I took the year this year to, to be um, just experimenting with, you know, what are the resources out there that work? What are things that don't? What do I, I wanted to try something different with every release. So right now there is, um, there's one title, um, The Lies and Truth of Dr. Desmond Bryce. I mm-hmm. tried to do that as a serial publication. Mm-hmm. That was really that was a challenge. Um, I've got something up there called um, "The Meeting at Bishop's Rest" that I did as a one-off novella. Um, Use that as a giveaway. That came to different results. So, um, of the of the five titles that are up there, I've tried something different with each one, and I'll have another little short thing coming out in um, November. And again, I'm going to try a different piece of that marketing strategy with something live. Um, so that was my, that was, yeah, there's five things up there right now. And I also have a book called how to hire a ghostwriter, which oh. yeah, it goes through what I think are the eight questions necessary for a client to ask a ghostwriter in an interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I also have that up there, but the goal is to then once I have stocked the Amazon shelf with um, short things, and when I say short, I'm talking 5,000, 10,000 to 30,000 words, um, short stories, novelettes and novellas. Um, I, I'll feel at least comfortable enough to, to release a novel and then that'll yeah, a whole new set of challenges. Mm-hmm. I actually love that strategy. I noticed that on your uh, website, you know, where you were releasing um, episodes. And I, at first I thought they were podcast episodes, which I thought would be really cool. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, these aren't episodes. <laughs> I like 
like I think of episodes. So I was going to ask you about that. So I'm glad you touched on that because I do talk with a lot of authors on this podcast and off of the podcast about marketing, regardless if you're an independent, you know, with an independent group or you're doing it yourself through Amazon, coming up with the right marketing strategy or creating that strategy can be just exhausting. It's a business in of itself. You know, yeah. the writing part's fun, right? Getting it oh, out there. <laughs> It's the gravy and everything else is the hard part. Yeah, it is. It is. So I'm interested in those strategies. Um, have you seen one of the strategies that works better than others as far as converting, not necessarily to sales? I'm more interested in hearing how it's converted to maybe followers and listeners and readers. I say listeners because of the podcast, but right. you know, potential readers for you. Have you seen? Well, fans, you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what the... the um, the what is it the fans the super fans how to how to convert people who are going to to to, to be interested in every release that you put out and that's yeah. the goal yeah exactly um, that's what makes Stephen King Stephen King yes. um, <laughs> well yeah the one thing I would say is that serial publication I'm sure there's a way to do it uh, the way I did it through my website and through a mailing list uh, was. I didn't, I didn't net as many followers as I would have wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, that is, you know, what I learned. And so I wouldn't try that again that way. What really has worked for me is, um, there's a lot of places, this is going to sound, uh, probably a lot of people will roll their eyes, but there's a lot of constructive places to give your books away to readers. Now you can give your book away to a, a lot of people and they might not read it or they might not, um, return to you but there are some really great sources like book funnel that mm -hmm. offer promotions uh to um with the co-promotions with other authors that are offering similar books or that are offering similar um incentives and so it's really a way to find that has been the best way for me to find readers i found oh, okay. many many uh, subscribers to my mailing list uh, a lot of people um, that's where I got the first few people to say, Hey, this is great. I love this. Um, and, and that, you know, that becomes fuel. So I would, I would find, I would, um, 20, 20 books to 50 K is a, a Facebook group that I think is really constructive. And they, it's about construct, you know, how to write, how to publish. It's not about tricks and, mm -hmm. and things like that. It's about strategies. It's about content. It's about rewarding your readers um, so I think finding those um, tribes of people um, right there that are not just offering you quick solutions is the mm -hmm. best way to go. Because those quick solutions, they don't work. Well, and I kind of figured that from, you know, the journey started out with me stumbling upon a couple of groups and reading about it. And I'm like, wow, the industry has changed so much that there's options to, you know, self-publish. But the marketing aspect is just crazy. So I did find a couple of groups. Then I started asking other authors and then the podcast started kind of thing. I'm like, good, this information's great. And not every author goes through the same journey, which is also very exciting. Right. <laughs> so yeah, book funnel is it's a hundred bucks a year. It is, it, you have to be involved and you have to be engaged, but the reward, is, the turnaround is, is quick and the reward is um, pretty obvious and you can, you can give away a 5,000 word snippet of your novel and, and get some traction. It, it, it works there. And a, a lot of people 
um, have success there. So I would fantastic. Well, I'll make sure listeners that that link is on show notes. So Eric will make sure it's there. So other people like me that are, you know, still trying to figure out our path, right. They have an avenue. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're um, you also mentioned, you know, the Facebook support group. So I'll make sure I wrap around with you to get that one listed as well. Do you have any other support groups that you can recommend or that you're involved in? Um, I like to list or have authors mention any other associations or groups that others might be interested in. Well, I spent 20, I've always been involved with the Willamette Writers. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent 2019 as co-chair of the Willamette Writers Conference. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, I, I think that organization is one of the best in the Pacific Northwest, if not the best, uh, at, they offer craft, they offer business, they offer um, whatever, where they meet writers where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had a, I think I went through a lot of, not denial, it sounds so dramatic, but I think. <laughs> you well, can be I dramatic, it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, I think it's hard sometimes for writers to admit that they need a tribe. I'm good, mm-hmm. in a, I'm good in a room when I'm the only one in that room. Mm-hmm. I also have to get out of that room if I'm going to do anything more with it. And, oh, I feel yeah. I'm telling you, I know this story well. <laughs> this is me. Well, right. So denial was a part of that for me. Yeah. And I think the, the sooner that I, I, I should have gotten off of that sooner than, than I did. But mm-hmm. once I started getting involved with, um, I met my current editor at Willamette Writers. I met my current proofreader through um, a group by um, that is uh, hosted by one of the Willamette Writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've met a lot of great people. And it's just fun to sit down and talk to people who are as passionate about what they're doing as you are about yours. So mm-hmm. join the writers group. I love it. Well, great plug for awesome group. Um, so anybody that is in the Willamette region, if you aren't already associated with it, I am, but I haven't been to a meeting yet, which is so funny is that I've heard about Willamette writers since I started, you know, this whole process and right. haven't had a chance to get to a meeting. Um, but for me, I agree with you. I, so I had been writing in secret. My husband was the only one that knew that I had any ambition to write outside of, I was very focused on raising kids and getting a career started, not in writing and in higher ed. And um, then I got bored and I'm like, well, I should go back, get my doctorate. And my husband's like, why don't you just write? You're such mm-hmm. a great writer. Just do that. And I'm like, okay. And then a couple weeks later, I'm going to start a podcast. And he's like, no, you were going to write. <laughs> like, I'm going to do that too. So new phase, right? And um, so I had been writing in isolation. As many authors start out doing, most authors tend to be introverted. And that is a true stereotypical thing is that we tend to process best when we're alone in, in right. quiet spaces. Um, and I was terrified to get into any kind of group because my experience had not been positive in the past with writer a writer critiquing kind of scenario. So I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing that again. Um, And it actually took me stepping out and coming out into my local community and doing the podcast and then meeting new authors and then doing some workshops with our library on researching because that's another part of my background. Um, All of a sudden I was invited into a really strong writers group of very few people and it has opened my world up into writing. It's become one of those things where we meet every other week. Um, And so I crave it. I can't wait to get together with them. We have a playwright, we have a um, novelist, we have historical fiction, and we have quite a genre space there. And criminal 
a law lawyer who's actually writing criminal books. So it's just really fun. Um, But it taught me already in the fact that I remember, I I don't remember who said it, but I know the famous author said, no writer writes well alone. Right. And I'm like, you know, I didn't believe that (laughs) for the longest time. And now I do. And it's actually opened even my own ideas of thinking of working with an editor in the future and working with, you know, a copy editor and working with all the entities that you need to get something out to be good quality. Whereas before I was like, nope, I'm just going to go alone. I'm going to rogue it. All myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Stephen King, what does he say? That you write the first draft with the door closed and you write the second with the door open. And mm-hmm. I think it's that is a really hard step to take is that opening the door. But I think once you're through it, like you're talking, once you're through, you've got to be as hungry about keeping the door open as you were about closing it. Absolutely. And there's just such a, like you said, there's such a great value for artists and writers that can speak with other writers about the craft and about what they're going through and, and how they're dealing with it. Um, Because it, it's not something that your everyday uncle, aunt, husband, wife, whatever, they're not going to understand all of it. And I still think they're writing, all writing a book. I still do. It's still in the back of my head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. And so it's so fun to get around other people and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I I know that story or, you know, this is how I got around that scenario. So yeah, I agree. Get out there. Yeah, definitely. So all you listeners that are sitting in the back of the wings, listening to this podcast saying the podcast is enough. It might be enough, but you might get to that stage where you need some more. (laughs) So, So Eric, share with us a little bit about your inspiration for, it doesn't have to be about this series of books, but just about your inspiration to be a writer, to keep going. And then we're going to have you dive into the reading because I'm very interested to hearing something. My inspiration for becoming a writer? Yeah, it could be about the writing. It could be about you being a writer. It can be what keeps you going, what keeps you motivated. What's your inspiration? You know, it, it, sound, it may sound kind of corny, but, I, you know, I've always, it's like a promise I made to myself. Um, it's a promise that I made that yeah it's a promise I made to myself and I just I I guess I'm I'm do my best to keep a promise Mm -hmm. um and I just think there's there's just nothing more there's just nothing more exciting than than the blank page and the possibilities that are there and I think if you can do it you should do it and um and you get to make stuff up all day. I mean, that's just, it's so, you're so lucky. And like, if you can keep up that momentum of luck in your life that you get to write, then um, just keep at it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So the promise, is that a promise to you to just keep going or what was your promise? I just, I, I told myself, this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm, gotcha. I'm going to do everything I can to do this. Gotcha. Um, and it was, I, I've always been, if you, if you believe that idea about contributing to the 10,000 hours um, that it takes to get good at something, I think I've been contributing to that for so long that it got to, when I realized I had been on that road for so long, I, I, I made kind of a, a, maybe not a promise, but like a deal with myself. Like you're going to do whatever you can to stay in this Mm -hmm. um, because this is, this is the uncommon road. This is the road less traveled and, and you owe it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm, I'm, I want to make eight-year-old me proud. And, mm-hmm. and I think I'm doing a pretty good job of it. Mm-hmm. I, 
he probably would have put more monsters in the story than, than <laughs> I am, but um, his tastes were a little different than mine are. <laughs> They've evolved a bit, right? <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit. That's awesome. Well, I love that. You, thank you for sharing that promise because um, I, I do feel like, um, and I, and I've experienced interviewing a lot of authors, but I also know this about myself and I've been around the music industry my whole adult life with my husband and music. And, and there has to be something like that to drive an individual to keep going. You know, you, I mean, cause it's hard. I mean, people yeah. are fooling themselves if they think that they're just going to write a story and get it out there and life is going to be great. And they're going to become the next Stephen King. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. happen. You have to hustle yeah. a lot. And um, that's, we lovingly call my podcast and um, my writing adventure as the side hustle in the house yeah. because it's constantly on the go. And there's moments where I feel like, oh man, I just bit off more than I can chew. I'm not doing mm-hmm. anymore. I'm just done. <laughs> I don't want to do it yeah. anymore. And then I remember I too made a similar promise to myself. I put myself into a goal. I'm very goal oriented. So I said, by this this time in my life, this is where I want to be at. And it includes being a published author. And so I fulfilled quite a few of those goals, except the published author part. (laughs) So you're almost there. I'm almost there. So once that happens, who knows, I'm going to set some more goals. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's, yeah. Oh, that's, you know, and that's even, that's great. You get to, once you've achieved a goal, you get to make a new goal on the energy of, of, achieving yeah. that first one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very goal oriented. And, and I work with students every day and I talk with them about goals for them to graduate with their bachelor's degrees. And, and they said, you know, you, it's easy to give up. The hard part is keep going when right. you want to give up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome. Well, set the stage for us, Eric, about the story you're going to read for us. Give us any background to the characters or the scene that you need to set without sharing too much, because I want people to jump on and get your, your work, right? But right. And then we'll let you go ahead and go into the reading. And when you're done, just let us know. And I'll take sure. it out. Okay, so when I refer to the Strange Air series of, of paranormal mysteries, when I, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's more of a linked set of stories with a common landscape. Um, so I, this is a section of the first novel in that series, um, which is the, the Mask of Tomorrow. It will be out in January. Um, and the Mask of Tomorrow takes place between the spring of 1981 and late spring of 1982. So it takes place um, over a year. And it, it, deals with, it deals with the beginning of one of the Canyon County hauntings. It, it's the beginning of a cycle of hauntings in, in Canyon County. Um, so the, this novel in particular, um, the main character is a native American named two folds and he lives off the reservation. Um, he's ordinary guy who works on, on cars. And the first third of the book is about his evolving friendship with the local DJ, whose name is Frank Lindsay. And Frank is a fish out of water in Canyon County. He's a Detroit boy and, and he's, um, a little bit more big city than than this small town. But Frank in this section has just taken over the first um, overnight broadcast um, in Canyon County. So he's doing the all-night radio hustle. And out of that radio show is where some of the paranormal phenomenon begin to evolve and blossom. So, um, And the only other piece of background, I guess, that's pertinent to this is um, Twofolds and his wife are embroiled in a conflict. So this is sort of him, you know, kind of looking back on, on his, uh, on what's happening 
in his life and then at his friend's radio show. Okay. Two folds leaned over. He used his forearm to clear the workbench of crooked tools and stray car parts. He plugged the electric tea kettle in and tapped his toes, waiting for the water to come around to a boil. He preferred the good stuff from inside the house. Sandra brewed a good cup of coffee, dark and rich and strong enough to cut through the morning after fog. Living out in the shed, however, two folds drank instant, made from a can. He took it with a lot of sugar and cream, too. About a week into his exile, he traded a tune-up on a Chevy Nomad station wagon for a little shop fridge where he could keep the creamer cold. This is no good, Twofolds thought, laying back in the military surplus cot, listening as the churn inside the kettle hastened. He heard voices from inside the house. Sandra was calling the boys down from upstairs for breakfast. I suppose, though, it's better than living in there with her wrath. Visitors came and went throughout the late morning. Timo would have his play dates. One of the tribal elders had made a habit of stopping by, delivering jars of her summer garden surplus, tomatoes and peppers and pickled green beans. This morning it was the meter maid, twofold scowl at his stubby form from beneath the shop awning. Skulking up the driveway, the man went about his business more like a thief than a civil servant, someone unwilling to look you in the eye, or unable to, he thought. The visitors dropping in on twofolds came late in the afternoon and evening. Billy Blake would stop by with a fistful of poker winnings, looking to score some. Karen Jacobson, their up-the-street neighbor, would visit while looking for Gwen, her missing dog. Twofolds had never seen the dog before, and he wondered sometimes as they shared a cup of tea if the animal was really a figment of her aging imagination. Every time she parted, though, he promised to call if he did happen to see her. Clem Trotter came by, too. He was the owner of Josephine Yellow Cab, and he was in need of some work on one of the vehicles in his ragtag fleet. They keep burning out the gears on me, Trotter said. Twofolds took one look at the clutch, crossed his rapid, his spindly arms, and laughed. Teach you to give your guys a Ford to drive, he replied. What did any of their visitors know about his exile? Twofolds often posed that question to himself. From his open shop door, he could see the full length of the driveway all the way down to the street. If the approaching car was coming for him, he stepped outside and put on his happy-go-lucky face to greet them. If the car was for the house or either Sandra or the kids, he ducked back in solemn retreat like a beaten general, vanishing into the gray wash of his tools and his coffee, his bottle of whiskey and his radio. At night, after the sun went down and everything beside the police sirens calmed, twofold turned on that radio and he tuned it to 88.9 KKVA. No man is truly alone who has access to an electrical outlet and decent reception on that AM-FM dial. Twofolds had heard that snitch of wisdom before. It had probably come from a barstool somewhere at arm's distance. Some men, he had discovered, steeled harder in their resolve to solitude than in changing their outlook and situation. He was living that wisdom now reluctantly. There were days, whole days, where the only voices he heard were those in his own head and those coming from that radio. Twofolds wondered if he would offer that advice to someone facing the same cold shoulder that he was, or if he would say something else like, bite your way back inside. Up all night with Frank Lindsay went on the air at 10, Tuesday through Saturday nights, and stayed on until just before 5 o'clock when the syndicated national news and agricultural reports took over. As it turned out, Jamie had been correct. Frank took the o- to the overnight air like a duck takes to water. He was as smooth and humor-filled as he was midday. 
Frank would take over the station microphone at the top of the hour, reading the PSAs from a stack of announcements. Then you could almost feel him settle into that familiar groove. He rapped about events going on outside of Canyon County. He picked out bits of this and that from the local gossip mill. When there were gaps, he filled those with the reverent blues, sultry gospel and country, the latter a bone he threw to those uh, rural night owls in his audience. What Frank did better than anything, however, was listen. He was a master in the art of keeping his callers talking. Callers came in from all points, all over the wide listening map, towns like Josephine and Grass Valley, Rimrock and Canyon City, and they came from all parts in between as well. Frank would indulge them with a conversation on whatever topic the caller wanted. He didn't care if they were all fired up about politics or the declining price of sorghum. He treated them uh, the same whether they were describing UFO lights on the eastern horizon or years missing from their lives. That latter topic, that belonged to Ms. Esther Sloan. Twofold had never heard of her before she called, but she said that she lived east of Highway 193 in the Table Rock lands near the headwaters of Tallow Creek. She was a bit batty, kind of a caricature. Anyone listening could tell she had a screw loose. Maybe there were two or three in there, too. Esther was convinced that her life had been missing years. She swore up and down that she had gone to bed in one time and awoke in another. Don't know how or why, Mr. Lindsay, she would say. Go on, Esther, I'm listening. I feel like I'm an old black bear that went off to hibernate. Twofold would lay his head back on that cot pillow and listen as Frank spoke to his distressed caller in a calm and steady voice. But at the same time, he kept her going, carefully unraveling her comic anxieties. And somehow, in the end, he always seemed to leave her better off than when she first called. Time and tide, you know the saying. Oh, shucks, Frank, I've heard that before. Esther would end off almost pleading with him. What do I do about that feeling? Whatever you're doing, Esther, believe you me, you're doing it with grace. And then Frank's joy voice would shift subtly. Next caller. Frank relished the political calls, and there were a lot of those. An old school Midwestern Democrat caught in staunch a band of cow country, he was a cautious provocateur. Frank never started the rant, but if someone else kicked off the topic, he was perfectly comfortable soaking their fire into an ecstatic inferno. You believe what that man in the big house thinks he can get away with? Twofold would close his eyes. He could just picture Frank hunched over at the station control board, groaning and simmering for a fight. Over drinks, he had heard his friend go off in all directions about Reagan, a man he called good old Ron. Don't know what you're talking about. A lot of big houses out there. Whatever came up about the former actor who had up and absconded with the White House a couple of years back, whether that be prayer in school or the air traffic controller strike, even hearkening back to his Hollywood and former days, Frank would goad, urge, and poke, do anything until his collar was red-faced and ready to holler. That man is out of control, I tell you. Well, as my Zadie used to say, a snake does what a snake does, Frank would reply. Don't get up and walk just because you hand him the keys. Often in the wee small hours long past midnight, the calls would break down. They became a surrealistic blend of madness and what felt like drunken hallucination. Frank played some for a joke, spots of breathy dead air, or some blabbering barfly who had enough money left over after last call to dial up on the payphone. There were posers out there, some people you could just tell were faking their harrowing encounter with the strange. But there was one caller in particular who stood out, though, a man who called himself Hanley. This man, for whatever reason, seemed to hold a spell over Frank. Hanley would call at three in the morning, 
sometimes later, and he would greet the willing show host with his gallows tone. It was as though they had known one another from way back when. A casual listener to Up All Night may have believed the two men were old friends who knew each other from a hundred shared cups of diner coffee. Frank let him go off, though, and talk about whatever he wanted to. What Hanley wanted to talk about, however, always tended toward the ephemeral. He spoke in a steady voice and his tone was declarative, but he never seemed to talk about anything. On a few occasions, Twofold was awake late enough to hear one of those calls, and try as he might, he could never make any sense out of them. Every word and every phrase was like a hook on a line that Henley would drop in the still air of midnight and wait for someone to bite. But wait for, wait for what? Twofold's thought as he listened. What comes next? You ever hear the birds, Frank? You're losing me. The lonesome whistle, it sure does blow. Are you talking about trains now, Frank asked. I grew up near the tracks. Hey, Mr. DJ, the night is lurid like a nursery rhyme. Hanley's laugh was reedy and thin, and when he hooted with amusement, there seemed to be two people on the line at the same time. Hickory dickory dock, Frank. Two folds could hear the air of skepticism in his friend's voice, but just let them talk, though. That's what Frank's, that had been Frank's motto when he took the Up All Night program. Frank was aware that one call from Hanley would inspire a half dozen calls about him, and that made for good radio. After all, Manipulating paranoia was among the stock and trade skills of the late night talk late night talk show host. No one got more people worked up than their own neighbor. What about that mouse, Hanley? Frank was close to cutting the call, and two folks could tell he had enough. That mouse, he runs up the clock, right? And Hanley sensed it too. His time was near. The mouse knows something, Frank, don't you think? He is keen on matters of a more celestial orientation. Oh my goodness, Hanley has on is on to something. <laughs> it's always the crazy ones. <laughs> He's in there. Yeah. You gotta listen to them. <laughs> if you can interpret what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Bravo, Eric. I, I'm hooked and I hope all of my listeners are hooked as well. So um definitely you. if you are, you get to the show notes. So Eric, share with us. Um, what may be coming up for you in the future for listeners? And they can go to your uh, website, I'm sure, to keep up to date with you, right? Right. Yeah. My website, my author website is ericmertzauthor.com. Um, you can subscribe to my mailing list there. Um, I have, so this book will come out in January. Um, it's a full length novel. Um, and then I'm following that quickly with um, another. It's a, so the, the Strange Air series takes place over the entire history of Canyon County from, from settlement to, I mean, could go on forever. Um, so I have, I have books that take place in the 1880s. Um, this takes place in the 1980s. Um, I also have a world war one era book. Um, so those will, I will have books in each of those eras coming out, um, in the next year and a half or so. Um, so that that's all part of that interconnected web. That's awesome. And what a great um, premise and idea. So then you're never out of material. <laughs> I don't think so. That's... There's probably even more archive I haven't dug up yet. So Oh, I love it. That's so fantastic. <laughs> well, Eric, awesome. Well, before you head off with us, um, can you share with us one tip that you would give to somebody like me who's an aspiring author working their way towards publication, whichever way they choose to publish? What's something you would share with them? So... I, th- I think the advice I would give to someone who's looking at self-publishing, that's probably where I'm most focused on now. 
is you really have to think of things in two separate camps. There's you're a publisher. When you make that choice, you're a publisher and you're an author. Um, and those are separate. You can't conflate the two. Otherwise you will, it leads you down the wrong path. You can write a great book, but if you're not able to market, no one's going to read it. And, and on the other hand, you can write a mediocre book, but if you market well, you are, you can get your book out there. So the goal is obviously great writing and great marketing. But I think that because they're each separate challenges, if you conflate the two, it, it just, you don't want to take your, the energy, you know, if you have a rough marketing month, that should not affect your writing, that you have to keep those camps separate, right? And if you have a great book, that's just the beginning of a great marketing plan. It is not itself a marketing plan. So knowing that they're separate, treating them separate, um, enjoying the successes and learning from the, from, from, I don't like to say failures, but setbacks in each one of those, um, you just have to treat them separate when they cross over. It gets way too complicated and hard and you lose, you lose energy. Absolutely brilliant advice. And honestly, some of the best advice for self-publishing that I've had given to me, because I'm still on the fence of knowing what I want to do. <laughs> so, right. so I really appreciate that. The, the idea of, you know, separating those two identities, but knowing they have to be equal at some point. And, and, and on, I'll dovetail into that and just say, if you are going to self-publish, you should be comfortable hiring people. There mm -hmm. are great people out there. It's going to cost them a little bit of money. Um, but if you find the right people, it is, it is worth it. And so you have mm -hmm. to just know that you're making it a, a financial investment too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, awesome, Eric. Thank you so much for providing um, that information for us and sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, I'd love to have you back after, you know, the first book is out and then maybe the second one, we can bring you back in and, and we can do some more discussion about where you're at. Oh, I would love to. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.